On June 12, 2018, my first book, I've Got Something to Say, is released out into the world on Feral House Books. I'm very proud to be on Feral House. It's an imprint I always look to for danger, and there are many Feral House books on my bookshelf. Adam Parfrey was the owner, founder of Feral House Books, who passed away on May 10th, only two weeks ago as I record this. Even though we never got to meet past emails sent back and forth, he is someone who means a lot to me. Through the books he wrote, edited, released, Adam was the compass for underground culture. By releasing books like Apocalypse Culture, Rants and Incendiary Tracks, Lexicon Devil, The Fast Times and Short Life of Darby Crash and the Germs, Cinerama, Sleaze Sex Paperbacks of the 60s, Lords of Chaos, The Bloody Rise of the Satanic Metal Underground, Choosing Death, The Improbable History of Death Metal, Dear Andy Kaufman, I Hate Your Guts, and a ton of titles more. Adam became the default curator of the underground. Now that he has passed away, I think there's a general feeling of being left adrift. But I know Feral House Books has vowed to push forward and continue, and that is great news. Having my book get the green light from Adam Parfrey himself, sitting in the Feral House Library alongside all those wild and crazy titles, is supreme validation for me. I am fully aware of the weight that carries, and don't take it lightly. In all my years spent in this band and in the public eye, being on Feral House is one of the greatest honors I've ever received. And it's a very different feeling than releasing an album. It's definitely more of a slow burn, at least at this stage in the game, but it feels tremendously satisfying. I've Got Something to Say is a book made up of articles I've written for various magazines over the last 10 to 12 years. Articles compiled from Mute Magazine, Close-Up Magazine, Rock Hard Magazine, Rock Zone Magazine, Rockstar Magazine, The Huffington Post, Guitar for the Practicing Musician, Visions Magazine, and Burning Guitars. In order to not try and sell something that people already read or could maybe even read for free online, I started to reach out to various illustrators I knew who could reinterpret the articles through illustration. At first, my goal was to only ask other musicians to participate who I knew drew. So I asked Damien Abraham, Valiant himself, Erie Vaughn, Juan Montoya, and Away from Voivod. I asked a few more musicians, but due to scheduling conflicts or simply their sheepishness to do something publicly, a couple of the people balked, but I understood why. It did, however, leave me a little short on illustrators, so I quickly broke my soft rule and started asking non-musicians, full-time professional illustrators that I was a fan of and or friends of. So I asked my friend Gary Taxali, Fiona Smith, but then I started to get a little bold and started to swing for the fences, so I asked Mary Fleener of Slutburger and Life of the Party comic comics and she replied to me we struck up an email conversation and lo and behold she ended up illustrating an article of mine the other person i thought was a long shot and reached out too cold was gary dumb i thought it would be fitting to have gary dumb be a part of the book because gary had been an ongoing illustrator for harvey picar's american splendor comics and it was american splendor that served as the main inspiration for gathering illustrators for my book to have the man be a part of it, to have Gary Dumb's artwork grace my book in any way, shape, or form I consider to be a feather in my cap, and I'm truly honored by his participation. Gary's artwork in American Splendor would always be my favorite strips in an issue. His work was so cool and, and so classic. It's what one thinks when you think of comic strips, and to have such an established name in the biographical comic genre, if there is an... If there, is even such a thing, be a part of this project with me makes me shake my head when I think about how this book was only a dreamed image for years in my head, but is now a real thing. Reaching out to friends in different bands, waiting for their artwork, or fielding questions was one thing. Often they were as much of a novice in this process as I was, so I felt fairly comfortable. But with Gary Dumb, knowing he had done this exact thing before and done it with Harvey Picar, of all people. I felt a little nervous and a little trepidatious, having never even met Gary. I didn't know how he worked, and whether I would come off a little too out of my element for him. 
But man, it, it couldn't have been an easier process. Gary was so easy to work with and his illustrations, surprisingly, a lot of the time, matched the images in my head with nothing more to go on than the story I had written. So it showed me how in sync Gary was with this. I should note here, the story Gary illustrated, I wrote specifically for the book, and it retells how I sang with Lemmy and Motorhead one night. A real-life autobiographical tale illustrated by Gary Dumb himself. Even though May is almost up, if you're in the Cleveland area, you might still be able to catch Laura and Gary's show at the Negative Space Gallery's annex called Dumbfounded which features a selection of their non-collaborative artwork, old and new. This July, both Gary and Laura have another show they're helping curate called Graphic, the counterculture of cartoons, comics, and graphic novels at the Artists Archive of the Western Reserve, also in Cleveland. July 19 is the opening, and it runs all the way through till September 8. It will feature many Northern Ohio comic artists, any more on Gary and Laura Dumb can log on to their dumbart.org. That's D-U-M-M-A-R-T dot org. This episode is supported by Skull Candy Headphones and Blue Mic Microphones. Please leave a rating or a review in iTunes if you're liking what you're hearing, please, because it helps the podcast. Okay, here we go. Gary Dumb is this half of this episode's guests followed by Valiant Thor singer, Valiant himself. And it starts now. The Tango Joe's podcast is the best around. Nick Flanagan is Tango's go out to love for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from Fox Joe. Stop playing Hang Joe Joe. The Danko Jones podcast is simply superb, splendidly fine, wonderfully wild, very divine. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts. Hello? Hey, Danko. Hey, Gary, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing good. Um, and I, I'm so glad that we're talking. I just want to say that, I mean, of course, you contributed to my book, uh, I've Got Something to Say. Reaching out to you was kind of a dare to myself. It was kind of a goof. I, I, you know, I was at the point where I think it was a day where I had gotten some good news. I was in a good mood. And so I, I had a little bit of courage and I said, you know what? What what's gonna hurt if I if I just email Gary Dumb because basically, you know, getting illustrators to illustrate some of these articles I had written was based on an idea that you know American Splendor and Harvey Picard did, and you were a very large part of that. So I I thought why not get you know the the main contributor to American Splendor to take part in it and to really kind of pay tribute to you know, the where I got the idea from and and I love all your work in American Splendor. I loved your illustrations. They were so easy to read and they told sometimes just very, not mundane stories, but regular stories in a really fun way. And I wanted that for my book. So I reached out to you as a, as a dare to myself and you answered back, and we did it. And that is truly the feather in my cap for this book. Well, I appreciate the fact that one goof reached out to another goof, and we <laughs> goofed it out right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, when I got some of your uh, penciled illustrations in my inbox uh, for this story you illustrated about Lemmy Kilmeister and Phil Campbell from Motorhead, uh, I swear to God, I, I my heart raced. I couldn't believe that what was in what I had pictured in my head was now starting to exist. You, you illustrated the story 
the exact way that I I had envisioned, even better. I mean, there's there's pictures there where you zoom in on Lemmy's eyes, and it just, I mean, it t- it took the story to another level, and I mean, that's yeah. I just you know <laughs> I know we're doing these podcasts to throw light on the contributors, but I I'm also using it as a chance to just say thank you for being a part of this book with me. Well, it was my pleasure, really, Danko. And the idea that you've got imagination, which you obviously do, is another reason why you appreciate what I was doing with your story. Uh, and I and I loved it. It was a very it was a very um, so it was a story very close to me that I don't think I had ever shared. I had never. Uh, that story never got published, and I, I think it's the only one that was never published or posted. So I kind of needed the big guns, you know, because I was, you know, it, it had never been flushed out f- to to a third party. So having you do, I needed the big guns to come out and really make it, you know, readable and 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 I think it it was great. Um, I'm happy, very happy to be a part of that story and a part of your book but you know i was thinking in terms of some of your videos that you've made for your music and things like first date um my little rock and roll they've got great graphics great use of imagination i really like your stuff too and that's not even talking about how much I do enjoy your straight ahead in your face music well thank you very much Gary thanks a lot um, during the process uh, of your you know the when we were going back and forth and you were sending me illustrations and and, and whatnot you sent me um, this this kind of a, a a small little pamphlet of a comic book called Unreal Comics. And it was basically, for anybody who who's wondering, comic book covers, which I can't I really think is the best part of the comic book. It, it's the thing that everybody goes to first. And so it's, just, what makes, it's what makes people buy them. Yeah, so you did a whole comic book on just <laughs> comic book covers, which I thought was ingenious. But um, you do more than just the comic book panel that is included in the book. I mean, am I right to assume that you have another side along with Laura of fine art? Well, that depends if you consider fine art a pejorative. Well, maybe I don't want to grab onto that ring, but the idea is Laura and I do collaborative paintings and acrylics and the current series that we're working on are about environmental and social concerns and to help seduce viewers if you will we have been using famous monsters from movies as our our ploy our hook our method of maybe slapping the viewer upside the head gently so they don't run away and they go, wow, I know that monster, but we've got the mummy playing a violin or Frankenstein in a pimp suit and a gold tooth holding up a bloody lump of coal and a black and long to give voice to things like air pollution and global warming. Why monsters? Why the use of monsters? I think it's because in the main monsters are things that we can both fear and identify with. Right, right, right. There's somewhat like the fact that within each of us, 
human beings, there is the capability for doing good and evil. And as such, I try not to make the viewer immediately realize we're saying, hey, sucker, this is you. So we put Frankenstein in there, or the Wolfman, to show that they are a foil to represent what we human beings do to our beloved planet. Right. And uh, never has it ever been necessary to speak out about the environment than now with the uh, current U.S. administration and what's going on in the world and the Paris Agreement, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. How how many um, – now, you said this is a series. So how many, I'm going to assume, paintings are in this series? There are around 20 of them completed right now with an additional uh, series of smaller black and white drawings that are inked. I do the drawings, Mm. and my wife, Laura, paints the paintings at like three feet by three feet or slightly larger, and we're continuing them getting into some more social issues. Recently, Laura completed one on the Me Too movement, and I'm working up ideas that are about, well, guns. And Laura emailed me um, about these two shows that you guys have coming up in May and then in July. Can you speak to me about that? And is that... Does that do those shows include this series of environmental slash monster paintings? What's it called, by the way? The earlier one is called Dumb Founded, and it's sort of a retrospective, a small retrospective of our respective artworks. So it'll have separate works by both Laura and myself from the last 50 years and since it goes from the 60s to now yes there will be some prints of the environmental paintings in there the other show is a show that we're helping to curate for the artists archives of the western reserve and it will have comics and comic related artwork from Cleveland and Northern Ohio spanning the years from about 1930 to the present. So we'll have things by Robert Crumb, Harvey Picard, myself, John Bagdurf, Siegel and Schuster, and other People like Jay Kelly, more modern Cleveland artists. Oh, that sounds amazing. And the first show is also in Cleveland? Yes, yes it is. Um, can you can we go back cuz I I did start off saying that you know, I was a big American Splendor fan. Um, I was reading it in the 90s and your artwork especially I enjoyed your strips uh, the best, actually, to be honest. So, um, how did you, how did you uh, how did you come to work with Harvey, and how how has that relationship started, and con- how did it continue? It started because Harvey saw a piece of my artwork, a silk screen print that was hanging in an office of one of Laura's friends. I had done this silkscreen of Popeye holding the creature called the Jeep in one hand and Sweet Pea in the other. And I had a legend around it that said the Zen Master and Sufi Mystic. And the title of it was I Am What I Am. And RV who was also working at the VA, 
was a mail clerk there, a file clerk. Mm-hmm. And he came into her office, saw it, and asked her, hey, this is pretty good. And she said, my friend's husband did that. And he said, I wonder, can he draw anything besides Popeye? And she said, yeah, and gave him her phone number. And that's how it started. What year was that? 1975. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and... Uh, and then you just continued to work with Harvey. Was it was it sporadic due to like how much you know how much money he could save to put out an issue? Or Harvey was dedicated. I know you probably know this from reading the comics, but he was a dedicated collector of records, <laughs> particularly jazz. Yeah, and he had quite a collection with some real rarities. And he ultimately utilized the sale of part of his collection each year, as well as saving money to put out American Splendor. And then he would do comic strips about selling the records <laughs> to pay for the comic strip. It's, it's all caressed for the mail. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm currently at, at a crossroads myself when it comes to records. Of course, I don't go as deep on records like Harvey did with his jazz records. But, I mean, I have, I have a, a substantial collection of records, too. And I just, I've, I'm, I'm reaching a crossroads where I don't know if, you know, how long I can keep this. And I went to a record show on Sunday. I came back and, and joked about, you know, wanting to get rid of it all. <laughs> So I understand, and I love those. That's what I loved about American Splendor and, and Harvey Picar is, is just these stories are, you know, it's not Superman, you know, breaking through kryptonite. It's, it's a guy going through, like, this anxiety attack about selling his records. I could totally relate. Harvey always felt that not only does everybody have a story, but everybody has a great story if they can figure out how to tell it. Right. That's, that's the thing that he did. Uh, creators like Will Eisner did autobiographical comics before Harvey, but Harvey was the guy that doggedly put on an issue of his autobiographical comics every year for. 25 plus years. Right, right. Another person that you, or another another series that you, I saw that you worked with or for or whatever was um, Real Stuff with Dennis Eichhorn. Am I right? Yeah, I did. I came to that because Joe Zabo, who I collaborated with, not American Splendor, he was contacted or he contacted the author and once we got going we did several stories for he had another series called real smut and uh i've always wondered like who is that guy like i don't know too much about him i've read a, a few issues back in the day and when when i was you know, when I was reading up on you and I saw, you know, real stuff highlighted, I was, I really had to ask you, how is it working with that guy, Dennis Eichhorn? Well, for me, it was kind of that remove because Joe was the one who was bantering back and forth about how to do a story. Okay. My work on those was purely lettering and inking. And by the way, Danko, we did do one story for real smut. (laughs) It was entitled Hot Date. (laughs) Okay. Uh, It's a good one. Yeah, I I can assume what it entailed. I I mean, uh, we don't have to get into the the story details about that. But it was, yeah, it was just something that stuck out to me. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I remember that guy. And I remember that series. So it was something similar to 
to how Harvey did, you know, American Splendor, right? I mean, it was... Oh, Dennis. Dennis, I do know, took Harvey as a great inspiration, as did a lot of other people, like Chester Brown, etc., for doing autobiographical comics. And Chester's here in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, there's... A, there's a, yeah, and Seth and... and um, Ugh, I, Joe Matt. Right. Um, well, Gary, this has been a, a great meeting with you today. Just to to hear you and talk to you, uh, we've we've exchanged so many emails. It's just good to hear your voice and talk to you for once. You know, same with you. Um, and you know, like I said, this is like having you part of it is a real feather in my cap. I originally wanted to just have, you know, band guys in bands contribute illustrations. I thought that was kind of like a nice kind of keeping it in house. Um, and then getting my courage up, like I said, to reach out to you was, it would never have happened if I didn't have like, I think I had a good day. I think something, I think I received some good news or something I was I was, you know, excited. And so I said, hey. I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. Um, and today's a good day too, Danko. I, uh, I, I, I think that day I emailed you and Mary Fleener. Uh, I was like, let's do it as a goof, you know? Let's just see what happens. And holy smokes. You, you, you got a twofer. Yeah, you reached out. You guys both reached out. And I didn't press my luck. I stopped there. I said, if I have Gary Dumb, you know, working on this, you know, then this is this 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 is kind of the cherry. This really makes it, it gives the it's the backstory to why I'm doing it this way. Um, Danko, it's not just because I'm in the book, but I am really looking forward to seeing it. Well, Gary, I just got the box of like I get I get my box of books for me personally, and I just got the box yesterday. So I just looked through it. I'm too scared to like really dive into it, um, but I flipped through it very quickly. Um, but I will send you a copy of the book from this box. Uh, just give me a week or two. Well, please do, and be sure to sign it. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I should do that with a copy of mine. Try and find everyone to sign it when I, when I see them or something. Yeah. Um, that's a good idea. And you're always invited if you find yourself in Cleveland to come over to the Dumbhouse. Well, if we are in Cleveland or passing through even, I will, I will shoot you an email and... I'd really love to meet you and Laura. Absolutely. I would love to meet you in person. This has been good, but that'll be better. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Gary. And I think I, I've heard Laura in the background. So hi, Laura, and thank you. I'm just here listening, and it's been a fabulous interview. Oh, this is great. And um, I'll email you guys and let you know when it's all up in, in Adam. Hey, Tango. Shameless plug. If people want to look at any of their artwork, it's at www.dumbart.org. Got it. www.dumbart.org. That's D U M M art.org. You got it. Right. Okay, nice. guys. Thank you so much. You bet. Have a good one. You too, and uh, I'll email you. Excellent. All right. Bye. 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 Bye, Laura. Bye. And that was my talk with Gary Dumb. As you probably noticed, Gary uses some sort of electrolarynx device to speak, but that didn't hinder him in any way from being on the podcast. I want to thank Gary and his wife, Laura, for participating.
As was the case last episode, I'm pairing up illustrators together on the podcast who are part of my book. Last week was Brian Walsby, who illustrated the cover of I've Got Something to Say, and Richard Comley of Comley Comics, who is the creator of Captain Canuck. For this episode, Gary Dumb gets paired up with the one and only Valiant himself, singer of the magnificent rock and roll band with Hands of Stone from Greenville, North Carolina, Valiant Thor. I met Valiant himself in Italy back in 2010 when we both played the Rock'em Ring Festival in Calalbo, Italy, not to be confused with Rock'em Ring in Germany. I'd heard so much about Valiant Thor leading up to their performance that night, and I wasn't disappointed. They were a great band, put on a great show, and Valiant himself is a total frontman. Afterwards, we made contact through various social platforms. Uh, I can't remember. I want to say Twitter. I can't really remember exactly. He would post some of his illustrations he did for, obviously, Valiant Thor, but t-shirt designs for Future Islands and Red Fang. I even purchased an illustration he did of Lopang from Big Trouble in Little China, one of my favorite movies of all time. Valiant himself eventually did a hometown gig poster for us when we played the Danforth Music Hall. So it was only natural when I hatched this idea to reach out and ask him to be part of it. So here's Valiant himself talking with me about wrestling, rock and roll, the Rock and Roll Express, and of course, my book, I've Got Something to Say. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing great. Well, it's good to talk to you. And uh, the reason why I am talking to you, other than the fact that it's finally great to talk to you, is uh, you are a contributing illustrator to my brand new book, I've Got Something to Say, coming out on Feral House. And I couldn't be happier and prouder to have you be a part of this. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, what I originally wanted to do was have, uh, much like American Splendor and Harvey Picard did, was have people illustrate the stories in a, in a kind of comic book panel fashion. But I only wanted to limit it to people in bands. Right. Uh, or people associated with the music industry or rock and roll. So you were you and Juan Montoya were the first two people I thought of because both of you guys have, you know, I've commissioned you to do stuff for for me or for us as a band in the past. So obviously you guys are at the top of the Rolodex. So I, I really wanted to have you be a part of this. And I'm I'm so glad that you did. And what you did is is one of I think one of the See, it was already reprint. It was already posted in the Huffington Post, so I didn't really want to kind of sell people this this thing they can get online. It's kind of I thought that was kind of hokey. So the only way to refashion it is to you know do what you did, which is illustrate the story of you know meeting me meeting Johnny Cash when I worked at a record store, which is a true story, one hundred percent. And I'm glad you did it. I'm glad you did it. It was. I'm so happy. It, it turned out great. Yeah, you know, can you hear me? Because I just put headphones on. I want to make sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Uh, the weird thing about it was, um, or, or like trying to rehash something that you've already done online. I, I did for a long time in hopes of having a book of bad movie reviews. I was posting uh, for six or seven years. I was posting bad movie reviews online. And number one just like everything else, everything gets covered up. So if it's been a while, it's going to, people are going to want to read it anyway. Yeah. New people are always going to be able to see it, but it is, it is neat to have something that they haven't seen or that hasn't been available online as well. So that was pretty cool. It was a pretty good idea, uh, to, to make it new and fresh. And, uh, let me say first that it was cool to, uh, be asked to work to even do the first commission for the one poster that I did. And, uh, but then to be, uh, considered for this is really cool because I've always been number one, a comic nerd. I've always been, uh, a fan of at first superhero stuff. And then into college, um, got way into indie, indie comics and stuff. So the fact of wanting to do my own comic or my own zine has always been, um, uh, 
uh, a goal or a dream that sort of eluded me because you only have enough, a certain amount of time to do the things that you want to do. You know, we learned that from Jim Croce. <laughs> you only get enough. You only get enough. What is the line? You only get a once you find to do the once you finally figure out the things you want to do, you don't have any time to do them or whatever it is. Well, just the fact you just referenced Jim Croce is hilarious. Yeah. Well, he was one of my dad's favorites. Um, I grew up. I mean, it's sort of how you, you know, I think all of our histories and and being able to contribute into explaining a little bit of your backstory or history is fun for me because as as I've grown, histories have become more important, whether it was world history, you know, obviously U.S. history, but not only that, but art history and music history and and it, and it it comes to my attention that each of our own personal histories are what makes us unique and important and where we find and where we end up finding significance for what, you know, is meaningful in our life and how we can add value to art. So so to be able to explain that in depth more, you know, and and get people to understand it more might make them have more of a connection and make them appreciate it more and make it more valuable to them. Well, it's it's what led me to you. Um, you know, we first met when we played a show together in Italy. I think it was called Rock and Ring Rock and Ring in Italy. I think that was the name of the festival. Yeah. And, and I'd I'd heard you guys. I'd heard of you guys. I'd I'd heard you, but I'd never seen you guys live. And the first thing that struck me about watching you guys, of course, at being the front man, you're you're automatically led to the you know whoever's singing, and your style of performance was very much aligned with how I you know how what I like in bands, and I I've you know I felt watching you that oh this is um I felt a kinship to what you were doing, uh, music wise, performance wise, which is a big deal. But then. Uh, you know, seeing what you do online, I got to know a little bit of your backstory just by, you know, some of the pop references that you used in your work and your art. Um, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's what I like, you know, you know the rock and roll express and, and low pan. I think I, I even purchased a, a, a piece of your work with the low pan, uh, illustration you did. Um, I bought that off you and, and the rock and roll express, um, illustrations you made for other bands and t-shirts and, and for Valiant Thor. I thought, well, this is a guy who, you know, I, I think we share the same aesthetic, you know, from what we do, you know, in our respective bands to what we enjoy and what we revel in pop culture wise. And, um, you know, since then, you know, we were Facebook friends. I see your posts and I, I think even politically and socially, we line up, um, very evenly. So it, it, you'd like to align yourself and associate yourself publicly in, in a forum, like such as putting out a book with, you know, people who you can kind of get behind and, and be okay with backing. And uh, that was another thing about, you know, asking you to be a part of it. Um, so yeah, no, the, it, it was, it, it was all, it was all great. And, and, and the same goes with all the illustrators and all the contributors to the book from Juan Montoya to Damien Abraham to, uh, Gary Dumb, um, and away from Voivod, all, all these guys, Mary Fleener, all these people are, are, you know, people who I, I really respect what they do in the arts, but behind that, you know, the social just where they stand, you know, on the, on the spectrum of, of social and political issues, you know, so that it was great, great to have right. you there. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, you reference the rock and roll express, uh, a tag team. I haven't seen anybody drop, uh, since, you know, the rise of WWE was very impressive to me. Well, let me go ahead and say that the rock and roll express is probably the greatest tag team of all time. And <laughs> the reason that I know about them is because, uh, like on earth, I grew up, uh, in, in North Carolina, close to Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the NWA was huge. And so at the same, I, I automatically associate rock and roll with wrestling because probably the first, like outside of cartoons, oh shit. What are this? I'm sorry. I'm knocking shit around. Um, 
outside of cartoons, after that, like when cartoons would go off on Saturday mornings, wrestling would come on. And mm, right. watching it with my old man, you know, we would wa- – I think the first match I ever – excuse me. I'm drinking coffee here. I'm sponsored today by Dark Matter Coffee. <laughs> I'm, just, I, I'm not really. I'm just drinking it. It was really – it's really delicious. Uh, <laughs> I would like a sponsorship by the uh, So, no, uh, the first wrestling match I ever saw was uh, Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy Valiant, and he came out to um, – Manhattan transfers, uh, boy from New York City, ooh right. wah, ooh yeah. wah. and then uh, and then uh, and then he was fighting um, uh, gorgeous Jimmy Valiant, who came out to ZZ Top, sharp dressed man, and I was sold n- not only on wrestling but on rock and roll, and I think right after that the next match was uh, was Rock and Roll Express versus Midnight Express, of course, and uh, you know. All along the lines, they've just – everybody – I think everyone in my fourth grade class used to wear uh, uh, bandanas on our knees and on our and on our uh, elbows, like going to class. We thought that was just as badass as you could be, uh, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. And since then, just to throw in a little plug, I ended up – before they got into the Hall of Fame, I actually got to meet them through uh, that band, the Avet Brothers, when I was doing uh, the Father Tom for them, and I got to get in the ring with them, and I got to take a bump from the Rock and Roll Express in a, a middle school, <laughs> Shelby, North Carolina, that I used to run track against, and uh, and I got to take a bump and, and cut promos with like my rock and roll wrestling heroes. It was you, pretty. It's pretty incredible. You cut a promo with the Rock and Roll Express. Yes, that I have on video. That no, I don't think no no one's ever seen it because it was going to be included in a uh, a documentary for the Avett Brothers, but that all got kind of put on the back burner when Judd Apatow picked up a wanted to do a documentary on them. So I have all this footage of riding in NASCARs with like with like dudes who are you know all this North Carolina centric stuff that I went and did as the Father Time character, and I didn't get to. No one ever got to see any of it, except maybe I think they had like a little sneak preview for the for the fan club, but it, the movie never came out that we made. <laughs> so, whatever. But either way, it'll it, someday I'll leak it out just because it's too it's too good. It's like the best shit ever. Well, I need to see that, man. <laughs> I can make that happen. I, can do it. <laughs> I have, you know, we we cut we cut full promos uh, before and after of me challenging them. Uh, and then I had, I, I came out and the, you know, the crowd's booing. I have lots of video of it, like different camera angles. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> oh my God. I, I mean, that is my favorite part of wrestling are the promos. And in my opinion, the best people who cut the, the best promo guys were dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair and Roddy, Roddy Piper. Um, oh yeah. And uh, the there is a there is an art form to cutting promos that I don't think is very recognized by anybody except for wrestling fans, which is a shame, and in a way a good thing because it keeps it kind of within the community and the group, and it's not sullied. Yeah. But I really love, and I think you know that's what you bring to a Valiant Thor uh, show, and that's what I bring to our show. Um, whether people recognize it or not, maybe it's a familiar. Uh, thing, but but uh, the wrestling promo, the art of the wrestling promo, is I would watch. I'd rather watch promos than rock shows. I, when we get ready for a show, I'd rather um, watch promos than wrestling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, me too. I, well, when, if they're good. Now you know, like, because like I think I watched Raw with the guys the other night, and it was three hours of them talking to the crowd in the ring, and it was completely terrible, with one exception. The only guy in wrestling right now, or big wrestling WWE, who knows how to cut promos, and that might be because he grew up in North Carolina watching them just like us, and he's our, he's or at least my age, uh, is Matt Hardy. Okay. Matt Hardy can still cut a promo. He comes out and he says. Like uh, like if I was gonna watch the movie, the new movie that's on right now, he would say, "Tonight we're gonna go watch Annihilation." Uh, <laughs> he's such a fucking weirdo. He's he's incredible. He's still doing it old school style, and I and I uh, I give him props for that. Well, Sorry I'm, to cut you I, off. well, no, I mean if you're watching three hours of promos and it's live, it's not the same as these very quick 
promos they used to cut yeah. to, to to promote the local card that's coming to town. I mean, it was a minute, a minute and a half. I can't even remember how long they were. But I have on on an old hard drive or a pocket drive that I I used to take on tour. I had I had a few hours worth of promos, and I would watch that on on nights where you know I wasn't really for one reason or another I was fatigued or something at home was bothering me and I needed to focus. I would watch these promos before we play, before we go on stage, and it would snap me back into it. And I, I think promos are, you know, more than, you know, like music that hypes you up before the show. A lot of bands use music to hype them up before they hit the stage for their show. No, nah, man, I could watch wrestling promos and I could <laughs> I could just go for it at a, dro- a drop of a dime. I mean, th- th- that's... That's what gets me. The fact that you referenced uh, Jimmy Valiant, hats off to you as well. Oh, well, there's, you know, if you like to listen to those kind of things, there's a, uh, you know, I don't think Jimmy Valiant's doing too well. He's not looking too good. No. Uh, Last yeah, I've seen, yeah, he's he's looking pretty rough just as a side. But uh, shout out to Jimmy Valiant because he's, he's incredible. And there's so many cool old rock and roll. Uh, we actually cut a video for uh, – a tri- or like a wrestling tribute song years ago, I think 2008, we cut a video that was just tons of clips. It was like a clip video, basically, uh, of, of all these re- our favorite wrestling performers. And the beginning opens up with, with Jimmy Valiant, and the end of it closes with, uh, with uh, Jimmy uh, Garvin. The two that I rep- the two that I- first wrestlers I ever saw, it opens up and closes with them. But uh, I was going to say, there's a tape company out or a a guy who's making cassettes of promos and uh i think it's i think it's mostly of people who've already passed away so i have the dusty Rhodes one and the uh and the macho man one but you can you can order these cassettes uh that are just you just pop them in the tape deck if you still have a tape deck and (laughs) uh and listen to all my vans and trucks have tape decks in them still so i uh when I see a good deal, I know a good deal. <laughs> I grab it up. Well, you know, you you kind of, if we're talking cosplay here, and we're talking, if we're talking here, I'm gonna I'm gonna brainstorm with you here. If we're talking cosplay, you would make a good Jimmy Valiant man, if I do say so myself, and in line with one of the greatest feuds in wrestling history, I would be the great Kabuki. To your Jimmy Valiant, I'm putting it I out like there. That. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say I, I thought you were gonna say the junkyard dog and say that I'm going bald and be the bald headed geek. <laughs> I am going bald. I am going bald. And uh, uh, and at one point they were talking the shave the head shaving match, and uh, I was thinking about that. I was like, oh man, that that's a good that was such a good rivalry. But yeah, that would be it. That would I, I fully back that. That's those are good cosplay choices. Yeah, I was never a big junkyard JYD fan. Um, the chains that he brought around his neck really bothered me. But the great Kabuki, on the other hand, is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And that feud they had for a while with Gary Hart as his manager, um, I love. And I have I have like old DVDs with the great Kabuki and that, you know, show some classic matches. So I could cosplay myself into the great Kabuki to your Valiant, uh, to your uh, Jimmy Valiant. And that would Fuck. be Jimmy Valiant himself, right? <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, it makes. Is that sense. what you? Is that one of the reasons why? Is that? Well, is there a? Is well, there a Jimmy? I never even thought of that until now. Well, it's it's. I mean, I if you okay. I mean, we're getting into like different stuff now. But if we if we're talking about the the fact of being uh, like, let's say I let's say we we're talking about me writing songs. I love to write a song in the beginning because before writing songs i wrote poems right i was a spoken word artist i did poetry like so i thought it was incredible how you could write and it would mean one thing to some people and another thing to some people so a lot of my early writing was had double meanings but then i thought why make it double meanings why not make it triple meanings and why not have triple meanings in there and why not have triple meanings two different triple meanings within the same sentence or the same phrase so that it just 
some people would get some of it and some people would get the other and it would make them argue on purpose or either some people would never get any of it and it would just be a big inside joke with the band. So a lot of all of it is is triple meaning stuff. And so everybody gets the finally like all this stuff's come out about Valiant Thor, this guy who came from Venus and people know the actual story of this character Valiant Thor, but nobody, you know, unless you're just a down home North Carolina, which is where we're from and where he he lives in Asheville, North Carolina and NWA and all that people from California or people from Italy or people from, you know, Australia, they're not going to get that reference unless they're just deep cut. Like, you know, like unless they just, you know, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's in there. It's triple meaning. It's double meaning. It's the, the, you know, why is a, uh, what, what does a clean cut alien religious alien and a, and a, and a bearded wrestler for, you know, and all these things have in common, uh, with with political uh, hard rock music, like you know, mixing them all <laughs> together was like uh, some of them, you know. It's just these are the these are the wirings. These are the things that they'll talk about when I'm when I'm uh, dust in the wind. <laughs> well, I love it. I love the fact that there's a little bit of the boogie woogie man uh, on on in your in the name of your band. So that's I mean, hats off to you for that. And he liked to boogie woogie. And, and actually, let me go back real quick before I forget about this, because I'm really bad about forgetting things and then wanting to and going, damn, I should have said something. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's very interesting what you said about uh, about JYD, about Junkyard Dog and the Chains, because I never I never thought about that. in if you're referencing like maybe it was like a slavery thing and in my head. OK, so get hear me out. I, I thought of him as like of being like a junkyard dog who was chained up and he's, ch- and if these chains break, you know, the dog's going to get you like outside of the, you know, being like, you know, there, there was always, you know, even referencing, it's like a trope, like in movies, like all oh, the big dog. That's like, what's the uh, baseball movie as a kid, like a, uh, uh, the sandlot or whatever, the oh. sandlot where the, the big dog's going to get you. The, the, uh, so I was thinking, JYD as the dog that being a dog chain but what what didn't sit well with me ever was Virgil for the million dollar man like Same Virgil here. always was like his slave and I never liked that and I never I never dug it and and I I swore up and down years later that there were times when he came out there was a whole line where he had chains on him and people were like nah they never would have done that and I was like no I'm I'm a hundred percent sure that there was a whole time when when he was trying to break away from million dollar man and there was like a whole gimmick where he was in chains and they, he drug him out like against his will with his hands chained up. And I thought, man, this is just fucked up. Even as a, a 10 or 11 year old, I knew that was fucked up. Yeah, uh, that, uh, absolutely. I, I just done, I, I don't understand how they got away with the, the character of Virgil and, um, for so long like that without anybody just going, Hey, wait a minute. But you know, if they had brought him in now, you know, with social media and just so much hyper awareness on everybody's part, I think that would never have floated by floated no. for too long. No, even in the two thousands, they were calling, uh, breasts puppies and, and having all this stuff about, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah. the women, the the women's, uh, league has come really far. Um, you know, with the deep, or they don't even, I don't even think they really call them divas anymore. They call them, it's like, it's, it's real. It's the women, you know, the women's, maybe they still call them divas. I don't know. I don't pay attention so hard, but, but they have, you know, they're given every, I think they're given as much respect as competitors as the men now. And I think they had to do that because the times that we live in, they've, they've made amends for a lot of the shit that they did, but there was some fucked up stuff in wrestling that flew <clears throat> for far longer than it ever should have, or if, if, if it ever should have been a thing in, in, in the first place. Yeah, there is a, you know, um, I don't know if you remember, but there was, I believe his manager was slick, but it was the one man gang. Oh yeah. Who became, who I don't know I can't remember off off the top of my head what he changed his his character name to but he was originally the one man gang and then he became something else and then like he was African guy then he, he became this, this African white guy and he would yeah it was kind of like blackface without the blackface and that was right. so offensive 
Um, and nobody said anything or, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't any online message board back in, I don't know what, 1989 or 1991. I can't remember when he did that character, but yeah, yeah, it's just the way it is. I mean, oh, people are going to eat us up for not remembering what that guy's name I is. Know. I know my, my brain's fried right now. I just, you I'll know, put like, it in the intro. I'll put it in the intro. I always do. Yeah. Good, good. Cause I can't, I can't remember. I think it's called, it starts with an A it's, uh, uh, but my, I just, if I had, if I was doing Skype on my phone instead of my computer, I'd have it yeah, like but r- right away. You know what we're, you know what we're, you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know. And it, and it, and it was, I'm doing a lot of, I actually do a lot of wrestling drawing. I'm, I'm working on a show right now. That's, that's art of, uh, food art, like of, of meals that I had, like still lifes of food and also like wrestlers. I used to only do I used to do dead wrestlers and like kind of make them up like they were saints, but uh, now I just do the dead wrestlers or not just dead like all kinds of wrestlers like a lot of obscure ones. And I got a show coming up called Feasts and Beasts. I thought <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I, I just jokingly made that up that name up on a text thread with my buddy, and I was like, nope, I'm keeping it. That's that's what it's gonna be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, um, getting back to the book. Yeah, we're talking about all the different, the, all the different great guys that groups of people that you got together to be in the. I, I posted about the book yesterday and and kind of tagged some of the guys in one one. I know one from the Torch days, but I but you know he wasn't in the band when we toured with him. But I met him several times, and we actually both just did a, a fundraiser T-shirt with with yours and 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 all three of our our friend Karen uh, for Karen Kuda. Yeah. For Caracuda, we did a, a Juan and I both did individual shirts for uh, for uh, Dirks for Balsack for from Guar, and um, it's cool to keep meeting up with him on different projects. Uh, and also, I, I listen to a lot of um, uh, Damien's podcast, but I've I've played shows with Fucked Up before, but I've ne- we've never met, we've never shook hands. I don't think we've ever even spoken. Uh, but away, I've met away many times. A big Voivod fan. You just have so much talent that you've uh, reached out to, and and it's so cool that it came together. Like we, I think you and I have an unbelievable amount of mutual friends, and uh, I think that's to me that speaks to your character. Even though we know each other vaguely, I'm glad that we're becoming more than acquaintances because uh, all the people that you seem to know are very, very dear, good friends of mine, and. Uh, it makes me happy that that uh, that we travel in these same circles, and uh, and I'm I'm pretty excited to get a copy of this book and read it front to back. Well, um, same sentiment from from me, and and another person that you actually brought up to me, and Damien brought up to me was Brian Walsby, who did the cover of the book, and yeah. and you said, hey, you know what, you should get Brian Walsby on this project, and I. I said, I think I emailed you going, I'm way ahead of you. I got the contact from Damien. And the, the truth of the matter is, I, before I even had this thing together, I wanted Brian to do the cover. I just didn't know really how to reach out to him. I mean, I know his website, I had it bookmarked for years because he was going to be the first person I, I wanted for this project. But um, I didn't know if he answered it. I didn't know if he'd say no. I didn't know what he thought of our band and his, I didn't know him like his association with it. So Damien brought his name up and I said, Hey, could you put in a word? You know, if it's coming through you, cause you, he did a fucked up, um, t-shirt design. So, you know, you, you could kind of like vouch for me, you know, cause sometimes a lot of people get the wrong impression of our band, especially cause we come from this very hard rock tradition, but we also have punk rock roots that, you know, we don't necessarily lead with. So sometimes people don't know how to take us. Um, and sometimes that is a very big deal in the scene. Just like you're saying, like association is very important with people. It's important to me as well. Um, it kind of tells you, you know, tell me, who, you know, what is it? What's the saying? Like, tell me who, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are or something. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so, so I asked Damien to like kind of, you know, vouch for me and, and put in a good word. And Brian was so cool and he, he did the cover. He did, he illustrated uh, one of the uh, articles like you did. And um, to have Brian, to have you, to have Damien um, away, 
and Juan. I mean, right off the top, those those names right there, I'm in. Whatever yeah. it is, if there's a project that exists with those names, I'm very curious. So uh, that that was that's a good start. And then what you guys submitted to me, all of you guys, like whenever it would come through, I think you were the fir- you were the first person that actually submitted something. So getting your artwork. I really, in my inbox, I was like, wow, this thing is going to happen, man. This is a real thing. Like someone outside of myself has spent time on this project. So it really kind of made me very excited to get your artwork and about a story that I hold very dear to my heart. And um, it's a, yeah, it's just, and it's, you know, I, in, in the story, uh, and you know the story because you illustrated it, my, my uh, manager of the record store, Tom, he doesn't live in Toronto anymore. He lives in Regina now. So whenever mm-hmm. we pass through Regina, um, you know, we meet up. We're still friends. And uh, I, he, when, when uh, the, the article was posted, he said 100% it's real. He showed all his workmates or all, all the people at work. And, um, and, then, and then I don't think he's seen this illustration, but I think he'll get a kick out of it. Uh, he's been illustrated, even though... <laughs> you didn't have a photo of them, which I thought was great. Yeah. So, well, so. I, you know, hats off to people like Walsby because he's done this so long now. Uh, just a little, a little of, about putting it together. It, it's so tough. I've never, being like a guy who's always read, I mean, I'm talking from seven years old up until 15 or six, let's say 14, 15, I was spending all my, money like whatever chore money like grass mowing money on comic books and then at 16 it was like uh all right half my money on comics and half my money on tapes you know and then then it was on gir- then it was on girls and like comics kind of fell to the wayside <laughs> until like you know college and then you got a little bit extra but always to this day i have a box at my local comic shop and i'll go- get different things so but i never and, and i drew little comics when i was little i did a whole full comic book but still, to to take someone else's story and to lay it out and to go, well, I gotta fill this much room and I gotta fix it to this and like get it in the format. It's it's a nuts process. But uh, you know, with with Brian, um, it's just weird that we we met him. You know, he's such a legend. It's funny. I listened to the uh, to the the podcast that Damien did with him and uh, mm-hmm. and he asked a lot of the questions that I'd never you know it's just funny because we I know all these stories you know because Brian also North Carolina guy and uh, we we've run in the same circles and he uh, all those man child comics were put out by our good friend Charles Cardello who uh, he runs Bifocal Media and does all those T-shirts and he did you know so Brian and I work for him and do T-shirts for different bands. Um, and he's done, you know, he did a video for us and all this, but to, to hear, you know, not only like is he an insane great artist, but he's been in so many different bands as well. And he has this unique perspective that, that fit the mold. So when, whenever you told me about it, I was like, well, this guy is thought of more as I'm sure I'm thought of as more just because people know music more than my art. Everybody knows his his art more than his music but you know he's this guy who tours around with the melvins and yeah but he has this storied career i mean he could have been he could have been you know in dave Grohl's spot in nirvana like you know like he yeah he's got so many crazy stories and uh but to read not not even just to read them and see them but to be able to get an appreciation a small appreciation and finally have my dream of like having a more than one page and more than one drawing like on a page like uh that tells a story is is a uh, it was a challenge and i'm glad that you know it's funny because i feel you say i was the first one that sent you something but it seems like it took me a minute to get it together so i'm glad that it all i'm glad that timing doesn't always work out and I'm, i've been i've had other friends ask me before to try to like do a story and get it you know collaborate on something and it doesn't always timing always doesn't work out so i'm so glad this did and i'm glad you know what tyler and i my, my art partner best bud uh night wolf everybody knows him as night wolf um what we've always said once it takes a very long time to get something together uh, once you have it in your hand and you're showing it and everybody's seeing it and psyched about it, we call that efforts realized. 
So what this book for you is, is Efforts Realized, man. Congratulations. Thank you, man. You look so good when you get 